Well, let's take our Bibles uh, together and turn in the Word to where we're looking at today, and that is uh, Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38. You're going to find that if you choose to use the Church Bible on page 855. Thank you, Terry, for putting that in my outline this morning. Appreciate that. Matthew, sorry, Matthew, Luke 1, 26 through 38. And I'll read that for us. Hear the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I invite you to pray with me now. Father, as your word lies open before us, we we realize that um, in so many ways, whether that's, that's not physically, but in so many ways our ears are plugged They're filled with things that are distracting to us. And we find at times we are more interested in the things that we can see and touch around us than the things that you have to say. Father, I confess that and and I ask for an extra measure of your grace this morning. I, like everyone else in this room, is one in need of divine help. We bring to your word nothing except expectancy that you will speak. And so, Father, we're asking for that, that your spirit would plant into our hearts your living and abiding word, that it will accomplish in us what we by no means can do for ourselves. So please, spirit, have freedom in this room. Use my voice to speak what is helpful to your people and most glorifying to the eternal Son of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray all these things. Amen. Well, in this Advent season, we've been considering how different biblical characters were prepared by God to welcome the Messiah. And today, of course, we can see, and from our text, we're turning our attention to Mary, the mother of Jesus. I I think it's true that anything that is an expectation for good in the future 
it doesn't usually just appear. It rests on something. It rests on a foundation of past promises. And in the moment, there's some response that, required, that is required of us, right? What are you going to do with that? And then there's, to complete it, there's a vision of what that will look like in the future. Now, as we saw in this text at the, at the end of this section, Mary declared herself to be servant of the Lord. And her posture towards the things that she heard from the Lord has everything to do with how she dealt with that expectation of the Messiah. And whether or not we would be counted this morning, brothers and sisters, as servants of the Lord has everything to do with what we do with the expectation of the Messiah. So, simple outline this morning to gather some thoughts together as we uh, consider this Bible text. Um, past promises kept. Secondly, present grace given and then future glory assured. Past, present, and future. Past promises kept, present grace given, and future glory assured. I was thinking uh, how many times I have said, I've got it, I'll take care of it, count on me, I'll be there, I'll do it. I, I think I'd be horrified if it was recounted back to me every time I've said something like that, made a promise, but didn't follow through. Maybe I thought that there were a you know, thousand other little things that seemed more important at the moment or I brushed it aside or changed my mind or, or maybe just thought that thing wasn't that important any, anymore and just simply neglected it. I realized just in thinking about that how, how weak I am, how, how weak at times are my words. And of course, we can make excuses, right? Maybe you do too, right? It wasn't a big deal. The situation changed, right? Something beyond my control happened. Well, that's you and me. Our words are weak to accomplish the things that we declare. And all of us have made commitments we simply did not or could not keep. But that's not God, and I'm grateful for that. God is so, so not like that. In our text, we see that God sent this angel Gabriel, a messenger of the Lord. He sent, God sent him to convey the news to Mary that she would conceive and bear a son. Now, assuming here that, that Mary is a, a typical Jew, even though she would not have had the same education in the law as, as a son in the family, she certainly, I don't doubt, she certainly would have heard her father and brothers speak of the Messiah. And the expectation of a coming Messiah was very much built into their traditions. It was built into their family worship. And so she would have likely been very familiar with the many prophetic predictions about Messiah. And so when she heard this, that the angel said to her, describing her role, and this baby, you're going to conceive and bear a son and... The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. Well, this was absolutely loaded, loaded with meaning. This child to be conceived in her in the most 
unusual way, this child would fulfill God's covenant, his promise to David and, and all of Israel. And I'll remind you of what the Lord said to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, a dynasty, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And with that age-old promise about to be fulfilled in and through her, I think it brought clarity to other questions. Questions like, who is the seed of the woman who would bruise the head of the serpent? Genesis 3, 15. Who is that offspring of Abraham through whom all of the nations of the earth would be blessed? Who would that be? Who was who was the shoot from the stump of Jesse that the spear of the Lord would rest upon? Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. Who is the son of King David who would also be his Lord? Who is the servant who would be stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God? The one like a lamb led to slaughter, pierced for our transgressions and, and crushed for our iniquities. Who'd that be? I wonder if she would have been reminded in that moment of Isaiah 9, 11. And, and would she have personalized it? For to me, a child is born. To me, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of course, we can only speculate what Mary knew. But as we look at this, as we look at this, this interchange, this conversation, this announcement from Gabriel to Mary, we can see that God proved that he keeps his word, promises kept. Now, whether it's immediate in the way that God says, let there be at creation, right? The power of God's word or the promises of God to be fulfilled at some later time, literally thousands of years. God's word is absolutely sure. So we ask the question, and Mary's receiving this announcement, why, why would Mary trust what the angel of the Lord told to her? Because it was a word from the Lord. Because God's word is absolutely as sure as the fact that God exists. The very things that God declares are as sure as the fact that God says, I am. And God cannot be anything but eternally and perfectly trustworthy and faithful. It is, it is in his nature to be so, and it is impossible, absolutely impossible for God to deny himself. And he fulfilled the promise of Messiah in such an amazing way. And it's no 
accident that the promise of Messiah was fulfilled in the very Son of God who is the Word of God made flesh. It's no accident that that promise was fulfilled through the one declared to be the Word of God. Jesus himself became and always was the embodiment of the will of God actualized. Jesus is the embodiment of the will of God actualized. Jesus said this later. See this in Matthew. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So we see in this story that, that Jesus is both the fulfillment of a particular promise, but also the one through whom all of God's word is fulfilled. So stated another way, Jesus is both the promise fulfilled and the promise fulfiller. And as I think about that, it's just amazing to me. So that God keeps past promises, right, in the word, means that the written word that we have, the Bible, that God keeps his promises means that the written word is as sure as the living word, Christ himself. Now, I'm not saying they're identical, but our confidence in Christ himself is as sure as our confidence in the Bible. You can't separate Jesus himself from the Bible, from the scriptures. Now, you may be familiar with this. That liberal scholars try to do this all of the time. They, they stand over the Bible, right? They, they think that they can decide what is true and not true. They treat it like any other attempt at, at history, and they decide what, what is valuable and what is not. They don't have any regard for the uniqueness of the Bible as divine speech. But get this. The Bible is not merely about Jesus. It is the living and active power of Jesus in the present. The Word made flesh. Just before Jesus ascended to heaven, he told his disciples, and recall this in the Great Commission, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything, uh, everything that I've commanded you. And behold, he said this, I am with you to the end of the age. Well, how is that? To be sure, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But the particularities of the knowledge of Jesus, the particularities of the content of all that Jesus taught and said, we have Jesus present. No, not bodily, but in every sense that we need to be saved and sanctified and prepared and expectant for Jesus to return bodily and make his physical dwelling with us, and we have it in the Word of God. So, I know we're talking about the birth of the Son of God in Mary, but all that's wrapped up in it is the fact that this is the revelation of all that is in Scripture, and Jesus himself is the means of, of the fulfillment of everything that is revealed in the Scripture. So what do we do with this? Because of Christ, 
we cherish the Bible because it is the word of Christ. We can trust Christ because we have his word. And we can trust the word because we have Christ. And God has always, always kept his promises. Our faith is not this blind leap. Like Kierkegaard said, it's like, just close your eyes and take a jump. That's not our faith. Faith in Christ is faith in the faithfulness of God to always do exactly what he has promised. And when Mary heard who this baby would be, it was the fulfillment of centuries of God speaking through prophets, making promises. And in that moment, promise fulfilled. So, trust the Bible. Be comforted by it. Be motivated by it. Be rebuked by it. Be empowered. Be worshipful in it. Be steadfast. Be bold. Be strong. Be courageous. Be hopeful in affliction because of the Bible. Be saved by hearing and believing it. Be made like Christ by submitting to it. If you believe in Jesus and have the Bible, you have the Word of God. You have. Jesus. Second, I want to look at present grace given. That word grace, uh, it's just, it's a beautiful word. I don't know that you can make it bad. You can't make anything bad out of the word grace. And I'm grateful for that. And I know a lot of words get changed and they become besmirched over time. But grace is one of those words that sort of maintained its beauty over time. And you might describe another person as having grace, right? Meaning that they've got this disposition of good character. We like to see that, of course. And we often think of grace, humanly speaking, as a response that someone has. It's a, uh, a way that you deal with, an individual deals with someone who is unkind or, or difficult circumstance. You might say that person has poise and grace. But when the Bible describes God as being gracious, it's something he initiates. It's not like, oh, I better do something in response to something else. No, it's, it, is, it is of him and it comes from and it flows from him. And we've got to get this. God's grace isn't something merely adequate or it'll do or good enough for now. But grace, God's grace, it's the absolute best possible thing. It is the, the perfect gift or collection of gifts for the circumstances both in the moment and forever. Grace from God is perfectly designed favor for someone or indeed everyone for the best possible good in the best possible way. And Mary received that grace in the moment for the good of her and the good of all. Forever. Now, it started out this way as we look at the story. We're told in the sixth month, an angel came to Mary. The sixth month, of course, refers back to the story about Elizabeth. She's in her sixth month of pregnancy, so we, we see that these stories are now somehow connected. So that's the timing of it. And she hears this. The angel says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Greetings, O favored one. Favored one. That is one who is in possession of grace. So here's the question I was asking as I was looking at this 
this week. In what sense was Mary favored by God? Now, did God look around for someone who was favored and then set his sights on Mary? Oh, there's a favored one. I'll choose you. Now, there's been a lot of confusion about this greeting. I don't want to put all the blame on the Roman Catholic Church, but the Roman Church's teaching on Mary has certainly confused things, and I want to deal with some of that this morning. You may be familiar, if you grew up in that tradition, that they have four core, they call it dogmas regarding Mary, doctrines, teaching, and I'll tell you what they are. She is called Mother of God. And what that means is that she's uniquely venerated, that she's honored above all other mortals because of divine maternity. Okay, that's Mother of God. They also say, teach this, that she has perpetual virginity. Now, of course, it doesn't explain James, Joseph, or Joseph, Simon and Judas, or Jude, the half-brothers, born to Mary by Joseph, doesn't explain them. Perpetual virginity they hold to. And I'll get to in a moment why this is important to them. Thirdly, they have the idea of immaculate conception. Now, that isn't the uh, virginal conception of the Son of God. That is her immaculate conception, that Mary herself was conceived without the stain of original sin. And I have no idea. I have no idea. I think it just looks like they made it up out of whole cloth. I have no idea where this came from. But finally, this fourth dogma about Mary, the, the dogma of the assumption. And they teach that Mary did not die. She was actually taken, body and spirit, into heaven. This also seems, and it doesn't say this anywhere in Scripture, it seems like complete speculative invention. Now, I'll give them their due. The Catholic Church doesn't assert that Mary is equal to Christ. But you could certainly conclude from these dogmas that they believe that she is some kind of demigod. And it's true that some Roman Catholics even pray to Mary. And what they're trying to solve is the problem of the virgin birth. The virgin birth is the reason for these dogmas, but they're not necessary. They're not scriptural. They're not true. But I, I, I take it that all of these misconceptions, these unscriptural assertions, they come from a misunderstanding of what it means that, de- that Mary herself was declared to be favored one. Now, from the Bible, we don't know anything about Mary except that she was betrothed to Joseph, and we dealt with this a couple weeks ago. The betrothal was a, a legal commitment between a man and a woman but it would be consummated at some point later. But to break that would be a divorce. She was betrothed. She was probably very young, quite possibly a teenager. Now, the question, was she particularly righteous? In other words, in this declaration of her favor, was she like, wow, God's looking at her and it's like, whew, she's she's better than the rest. Was that what was going on? I don't think she was more righteous than any other typical Jewish girls of her time but maybe it was her family and her upbringing is the reason for god to find favor now i don't doubt that she was very much exposed to the teachings of scripture again typical jewish family but i don't think she was unique and even even if we posit this even if in some sense she was an extraordinary young woman 
And I'm sure Joseph thought so, <laughs> right? But we still got to ask the question, how did she get that way? And the answer is that whatever she was to that point, whatever was part of her character, it was all of God's sovereign and providential preparation, his giving gifts to her. It was all of God's grace. means it was entirely external to her and given to her. Greetings, O favored one. Now, I'm not surprised that this greeting troubled her. Uh, I don't doubt that there was some fear here. And, of course, if you look through the Bible and you see all the other stories of where angels show up, there is fear. I mean, this is a fearful thing. So that doesn't surprise me that she would be troubled. Uh, you can just look back, in fact, at Zechariah. He was fearful when the angel showed up. But, of course, in this context, she wanted to discern the nature of the greeting, and she, she didn't understand its purpose, of course, and she was wondering what was next. She didn't have to think long, of course. The angel says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. This is not judgment. So she doesn't need to be fearful. It's not going to be bad news. She's comforted by the angel. You have found favor with God. And there's that word again, favor. Favor. In the original, it's charis. Goodwill. It's the loving kindness and goodness of God. The opposite of judgment. So, so get this. Mary was favored by God because she received favor from God. That's the conclusion. She is favored by God because she received favor from God. And whether that favor was immediate or, or put in place through her parents or what happened before, God gave her. God gifted her. God was gracious to her. And it was all of God, from God to Mary, so that the only thing that could be said of Mary is that through no inherent reason in her, God showed grace. And that makes her particular veneration in the Roman Catholic Church a problem. Now, what did that grace look like? And we can see from the text. She was going to be a vessel of God for his purposes that would not only benefit her, but all who had faith that God would ultimately fulfill his promises. Thousands, as we've recounted, thousands of years of God's prophetic De declarations, God's declarations through the prophets, what will be. And he tells her an astounding thing. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, verse 31, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, I, I got to think that in this moment, in the same way that, that Joseph was explained to Joseph, this is of the Holy Spirit, you're going to conceive in your womb. I mean, she's not a fool, right? She understands basic biology. In her mind, like, I haven't had the wedding yet. We're, we're not there. And it, to this point in her life, she's never been with a man in that way. So she asks the angel, of course. It's a good question. And I suspect the, the part of the question was the when, right? How will this be since I'm a virgin? Now at this point, Mary is told of her part in God's plan. This, this never before, never to happen again plan which is effectively a human impossibility, a miracle that no one could have conceived of or imagined. It's just, it's, it's mind-boggling. 
And the angel gives the answer. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now just from that alone, God's grace in the present, it is entirely what God's going to do in you. The Holy Spirit gets all the credit. He's going to come upon you. And the power, the power of God, the power of God Most High, that will overshadow you. And that's how this thing will come about. Therefore, and this is really to answer the problem with the Roman Catholics and their veneration of Mary, this is how this child is to be understood. He will be called holy, the Son of God. He will be called set apart. And again, as I mentioned, this is how God solves the problem. He does not carry the stain of sin from Adam. No man is involved, no human. This is not Joseph's son, the Holy Spirit, bypassing the guilt that was transmitted from Adam on even to Mary who possessed it, yet the conception of this child in this unique way by the Holy Spirit would be called holy. A glorious accomplishment. A divine act done in her quietly, imperceptibly, probably by the Holy Spirit, all of God. And again, I can imagine it's tough to tough to hear, tough to understand, tough to put together. And so as a sign of sorts, then we find later is a converging storyline, but as a sign, the angel tells Mary, her relative Elizabeth, she was really old. She's conceiving in her old age. So listen, if God can do that, God can do anything. For nothing, verse 37, will be impossible for God. And she's told this child will be unique, and as I've already said, given the name Jesus, in Hebrew, that's God's salvation. Uniquely and supremely, Son of the Most High God. Now as we think about this, as we think about how Mary considered this, you, you put yourself in her shoes, right? Her mind probably racing ahead, what, what will Joseph think? How, how will she explain this to her mother and father? And so in some sense, we, we've got to get this. This might not be easy. But the Lord assured her in that greeting, the Lord, the Lord is with you. And I want you to see that Mary's response to the announcement was the effect, the outworking in her life of the grace of God. Her response was the outworking of the grace of God. Now sometimes we we, we humanize this too much. Yes, she responded positively. And we say, Mary, good job for saying yes, for agreeing. No. Glory to God for planting it in Mary that she would have the kind of heart that he gave her the heart that she would submit to this. Mary was chosen by God as a recipient of his grace and to be an instrument through which God's grace would then flow to others. And that's us. And for her, for Mary, it was the best possible thing to happen at the best possible time in history, as the Apostle Paul reflects on later, for the best possible outcome. This is what Paul says. But when the fullness of time had come, so 100 years earlier, 500 years earlier, 1,000 years earlier, not time, not time. When the prophets were speaking, it's not time. But when the angel Gabriel showed up, 
It was time, Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we, we all benefit, we might receive adoption as sons. You want to be a child of God? In the fullness of time, God accomplished that. He sent forth his son, born of that woman at that place. And I think somehow Mary, Mary knew this, at least the first part that God sent his son because her response behold i am the servant of the lord let it be to me according to your word mary believed the word from the lord and that faith that she had in that moment that was evidence that god had already worked his grace in her heart before she heard the announcement or at the same time and listen brothers and sisters that's true for each of us Certainly Mary was a one-off, never to be repeated again. But think about this. Mary has no eternal advantage over us. That grace that met her that day in Galilee, that has and will continue to meet people again and again and again until Jesus returns. And if you have believed, if you have believed in Jesus that's where you are today that same grace has found you the same grace extraordinary miraculous grace that grace has found you as paul writes in ephesians 2 oft quoted and probably memorized by many for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing you have nothing to do with it and paul could well have said this to mary mary it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works. You even bore the Son of God, not as a result of works, so that no one could boast. And brothers and sisters, that, that grace continues as God establishes a path before you to enjoy the process of being progressively conformed to the moral character of Christ. The angel told Mary, the Lord is with you, and be assured of this, God is with with you too if you've trusted christ god is with you too that's his sustaining grace and he will do and work and provide everything required to keep you as his own the apostle paul asks in romans a glorious section in romans chapter 8 if god is for us rhetorical question who can be against us well, it should be no one, but leaves it unanswered. He answers it by this explanation. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously, graciously give us all things? Present grace. If you believed in Jesus, you have that just like Mary did. And no less. Well, finally, I want to look at the future glory assured. Um, I find myself thinking a lot about the future, and I think this is probably given my recent health scare. I'm, I'm always thinking a lot <laughs> about my own mortality. Uh, will I get my energy back? Will I see my grandkids grow? Now, I'm admitting to you, church family, I... 
I realize this is devolves into worry at times. I find myself confessing to the Lord a lot. Kathy tells me, are you trusting God? Asks me. You know God is in control. Shakes me out of my, my worry. But, but I realize that I'm, I'm short-sighted. When I do that, I am short-sighted. At times, I'm fixing my hope on things that are not eternal. When I should be more focused on the day when Christ returns. That's certain. Whether I live another day, that's not promised to me. But what is certain is that Christ will return and he will be glorified. I need to fix my my attention there. I should be uh, consumed with that day when Christ returns. Every, Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every creature bows. Every creature declares that he is Lord. We have to have the long view. And it might be 100 years, it might be two days, but we need to have the view of that. Before Christ was revealed, the faithful saints, the ones who trusted in the promises of God, they all knew that there was this day coming when everything would be renewed. They knew from the scriptures that, that hearts of stone would be, would be replaced by hearts of flesh, that dry bones would be enfleshed, that predatory animals would be figuratively tamed and led around by infants. But how? And, and through whom would this glorious kingdom come well in this announcement mary has given this answer her son jesus would be the eternal kingdom's king that that ancient promise fulfilled for future glory a never ending kingdom (laughs) the king david that david was or never could be the king par excellence, who would restore the people of God to glory. And Mary is told what to expect. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, future. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. There and of this kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, we follow the life of Jesus as he grew. Uh, there were certainly times as Mary observed him. We see her coming in and out of the story in the Gospels. I think there were times she lost that eternal perspective. She had at times a very incomplete understanding of the way in which Jesus would take that path to glory. And I wonder if at times she forgot his divinity, or maybe didn't fully understand it as being the Son of the Most High. But no one, no one, including Mary, I don't think, could have imagined that Jesus' path to glory would be by profound suffering, rejection by his own, being crucified in such an unjust and immoral way, but then seeing him raised. That grace that met her in Galilee when she heard that announcement, that marked her as a child of God for eternity. And she saw after Jesus was raised with clarity, like we all can see with clarity, looking back on the path that Jesus took to suffering was the means by which he'd ultimately be glorified in his resurrection. But you know, and I've said it, Mary has no greater advantage than you or me. 
And we know from the scriptures now that nothing less than a vicarious death by a flawless God-man could satisfy God's justice for our own sin. Nothing less than that. And that's what Jesus did. He satisfied God's just wrath and he had to suffer. He had to be rejected. He had to bear in his body our sins on the cross for us, any of us, to be counted righteous before God. If you believe that Jesus did that for you, then you are saved from eternal torment and God's grace has come to you. And what do you do now? You can look forward to, with confidence, the day of Jesus' glorious return. Now, here where we sit, and I, I get this, and I feel this too. Each of us, we feel this disconnect between what is and what ought to be. Now, even in our best moments, even in our happiest times, if, if your family's together at Christmas time and you're, you're, you're opening gifts, there's still, there's still something. There's still something that gnaws at you. Grandpa's not here. Our brother's not here. I'm going to be laid off. Or maybe there's tension in the family. We, we feel this, right? These things aren't right. It's not right that we suffer disease, that we suffer physical and mental limitations. Things aren't perfectly right. Yet it's our reality. And just because it's our reality doesn't mean it feels right. And we long, we so long for it to be made right. And Jesus will. Jesus will. One day, and we pray that day will be soon, he will be acknowledged before all creation as the King of kings and Lord of lords. One day, and we pray that it is soon, he will finally crush his enemies. One day, and we pray that it is soon, he will bring everything into subjection. The children of God, and that's us, will be revealed with imperishable, indestructible bodies. And all creation that had been groaning since the time of Adam will breathe a sigh of relief. And in that day, Jesus, God's Messiah, will rule and reign forever and ever for his own glory, but also for our eternal and I would say exponentially increasing joy. It's the long view. So, how you view the Christ has everything to say about whether or not you can sit where you sit this morning and say, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Mary said, Let it to be, let it be to be everything you've said. We say, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Whatever you do, God, I'm looking forward to the day when Christ will return. Well, God has kept his word and he has solved the problem of our sin by sending his son into the world. 
Have you believed in him? Have you trusted him? If you have not, today's the day. Repent of your sin and rebellion and receive a welcome into God's family. Know this, that if you have seen the Lord Jesus with the eyes of faith, if you have recognized him as Savior and Lord, that's, that's a gift. Praise God for that knowledge. Praise God for that understanding. And may we be ever, ever grateful for Christ, the perfect gift at the perfect time. And with that, know this, you have the continued presence of the Lord Jesus through his word to keep you for the day of his return. When he, the Christ, the ancient, the fulfillment of that ancient word, the promised one, the anointed of God, he will be seen in all of his magnificent glory and we will enjoy him forever. God keeps his word. God pours out his grace. God gives us a vision for the future. Let's hold on to that. Let's pray. God, we are, um, we will be, and we ask that you would keep us eternally grateful. God, none of this would happen apart from your steadfastness, your faithfulness, your, your immovable word, the promises you made, the promises you kept, the grace you pour out in our lives in saving us and sustaining us every single day, and the vision you give us that we can hold on to for the day that the Lord Jesus will return. So God, keep us faithful, we pray, by your spirit, by your word. For the glory of Christ, we ask it. Amen.